This morning, once again, I want to speak with you from John chapter 17, from the subject, Chasing After Your Father's Heart. And this is part two in a series that our life in Christ would increasingly conform to our Father's will in this world. Today we are continuing to look at the heart of God, our Father, as it is seen through the prayer of Jesus Christ on behalf of his apostles and his people. We are slowing the pace and taking our time to walk through this prayer because, as we shared last week, the impact of good fathering and or its absence is monumental. On the one hand, good biblical fathering has the potential in Christ to greatly revolutionize society in unimaginably positive ways. On the other hand, fatherlessness or abusive forms of so-called fathering can destroy people and society in ways that can't be calculated. I hope it is obvious that these facts do not in any way diminish the enduring importance and immeasurable impact of good biblical mothering. Of course, not believing in Jesus has the greatest negative impact on society. Still, the absence of fathers or poor fathering is responsible for so much of society's destruction. Therefore, it behooves us to delve into the Father's heart, uncover the precious impulses and convictions we find there, and seek to build our life on those principles. God created the earth to be a society where people neither hurt nor destroy on all his holy mountain. And this kind of world can only come when people within it are filled with the knowledge of his glory as revealed in Jesus Christ his Son and daily chase after these things. Last week, two central applications were set forth from the beginning of this prayer. First, one of the chief and primary ways for the Father to be glorified in you is when you lay down your life for others to know God as Father through Jesus Christ as he is revealed in the gospel. Second, the best possible society in this world can only come as a direct result of your longing to see and experience the triune God's glory in heaven. This hope for eternal glory is what shapes your present worldview and gives you the proper focus, motive, and framework for living on earth productively for God's glory and the good of other people. Jesus understood that the highest good for him and you was enjoying the presence and being of his Father. It is the same for us. There is no other expectation that is so life-giving and able to equip you for good than the expectation of being with the triune God and brought into fellowship with God through Jesus. John 17, let's begin reading in light of that introduction at verse 6. Jesus says, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. 
Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you, for I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. In verse 6, Jesus returns to and thereby highlights a subject he holds to be preeminently paramount, to speak in hyperbole. And that subject is uh, surpassed by, by nothing. That subject is the Father's name and being as revealed through Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit. And you too must embrace that point of view. The point of view that nothing and no one surpasses the knowledge of God in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, that is what brings about the transformation of people and society. Jesus says, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. The Father gladly gave the apostles to, and you, actually, uh, as we'll see, uh, the apostle, uh, God gladly gave uh, the people of God to Jesus, because Jesus could be trusted to give the absolute very best to the apostles and to you. And that very best is a revelation of his Father. From the very beginning of John's account, you read, No one has ever seen God. The only God who is in the bosom of the Father, he has made him known. John teaches that all of Jesus' words and actions are but a representation, a revelation of the Father's words and actions. Remember what Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. Jesus said, I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. I came not on my own accord, but he sent me. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me, he himself has given me a commandment what to say and what to speak. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. The words that I say to you, 
I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me sees him who sent me. Jesus makes it clear, as, as he said elsewhere, I and my Father are one. The being of God is one, and the incarnation of Jesus is the most perfect revelation of your Heavenly Father's heart and purpose. Two points of application come out of this. First, your fellowship with the Father through Jesus by the Spirit is meant not only to transform you to chase after the Father's heart, but also to bring others to know and pursue the Father's heart through faith in Jesus Christ. Every person in your life has been entrusted to you by God. What of God are you making known to the people he has put in your life? with your words and with your deeds. This is so important. Look at the end of verse 6 again and see the result, the outworking of knowing the Father's name. They have kept your word. Keeping God's word, following his will, sharing it with others is the result of knowing him. When the apostles in the book of Acts uh, were commanded by the the ruling authority of the day, not to preach or speak anymore in Jesus' name, their, their response was, we can't help but speak about the things we have seen and heard. When the Lord gave Moses the Ten Commands, the Ten Commandments, he, he began by saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. God first preached the gospel to Israel before he ever gave a command for them to obey. Nothing about this has changed. Jesus makes uh, known the Father, and, and it leads us to keep the Father's word. This is how the Father uh, and others in the church and society are impacted by the gospel. This is how uh, the church and society is impacted by our knowledge of the Father. And this is how we father others in the church and in society. Uh, we, we make known to one another, we make known to others uh, the goodness, the glory of the Father, his characteristics, his his being, his qualities, his traits. Uh, that's what God wants us to know and to share with others. It, it's only through that knowledge of the Father and his qualities and characteristics revealed in Jesus that anyone will ever want to do anything for God. It's his being that uh, changes our behavior. People need to know God's power for example, as seen in Abraham. People need to know God's provision, as seen in Isaac. Jehovah Jireh, God provided a lamb, and God uh, worked in spite of Abraham's weakness. People need to know God's grace, as it's seen in, in Jacob. 
a man who didn't deserve the grace of God, but got the grace of God. And, and God said that this is my memorial name forever. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. This is how you're supposed to know me, he tells his people. And then uh, we see in Jesus, even more profoundly, even more uh, of the revelation of the Father, we see that God is with us. He's merciful. He's gracious. He's patient. He's, he's, he's uh, faithful in his covenant love, and uh, he's forgiving, he's holy. Uh, this is God's name, and uh, no one will ever change, and neither will you ever change, without the solid foundation and motivation of God the Father revealed in Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit. The triune God is the reason people must have to be reconciled and restored and thereby the best version possible of themselves in this world. We often hear people talk about, I want to be my best version. Well, the only way anybody can be the best version of themselves is this way. You simply cannot overlook uh, the frequency in which Jesus talks about the Father's name. For him, it is the most uh, a productive way of living. And it is, if I might add, it is, it is a must to even have any semblance of productive living. Verses 7 and 8 highlight, back in John 17, verses 7 and 8 highlight that everything you have in Jesus has come from the Father. Now they know, Jesus says, that everything that you have given me is from you. And he goes on into the same sort of theme in verse 8, uh, when he says, For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. Jesus' goal in discipleship, this is primary, Jesus' goal in discipleship, what he sees as success in discipleship is when you know that all the goodness and glory you experience in him comes from the Father. To experience life as Jesus did is to experience a relationship and fellowship with God as Father and you as his beloved child in whom he is pleased. That's the goal of discipleship, is for you to know God as Father, to know he loves you and he's pleased with you because of the love and grace he's demonstrated through Jesus Christ his Son. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And don't let sons fool you there. It, it means sons for daughters as well, but it's highlighting sons because in, in Old Testament and New Testament contexts, the son, the firstborn son, was the heir, the, the inheritor of the entire estate. And so it's saying to God's children, whether male or female, that they get the same sort of uh, inheritance as Jesus. 
in many ways. We're joint heirs with him. Um, we have a spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. God sent forth his Son, you know this from Galatians, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Adam was God's son. But he was led astray by being led to believe his father was absent or evil. That is how Satan deceives you. His first step is to convince you that you are not loved by your father in heaven, or you're somehow abused by your father in heaven, that he's done you wrong. Faith in this deception guarantees self-destruction. Even Jesus was tempted to doubt his father's goodness. That shows how, how primary knowing the father's love is, that Satan knew that the only way he could get Jesus to fall is if he got him to doubt the father's love for him. Faith in this deception guarantees self-destruction. It is Satan's primary move on the court of life. And he keeps playing it over and over again. As a believer, the way you experience all the bad or absence of fathering in your life turned around is by simply studying God and his attributes as they are revealed by Jesus in Scripture, rejoicing in them, applying them to each part of your life, every moment of your living, and resting in their reality for you, given all through Jesus Christ. It takes time. It takes prayer. It takes patience. It takes community. And it takes faith. You cannot put it in a blender, drink it, and be done. It takes daily meditation on God in view of your joys and sufferings and your obedient response to his love. You know, sin uh, darkens our understanding. We simply cannot know uh, the way we are supposed to know if we allow sin to live quietly and happily within us. And it takes uh, this kind of rejoicing in the Father and also response to the Father to really grow in our understanding of Him. If this disciplined approach to Bible meditation and application, uh, it's not just about knowing, it's about acting, seems, if these things seem to overwhelm you, then read verse 9. Jesus says, I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. The truth here is repeated in substance later in the prayer to include you. Uh, when Jesus prays in verse 9, he's, he's referring to the apostles in verse 20 of, of John 17, it says, I do not ask for these only, meaning the apostles, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, meaning you. What joy you and I should have that Jesus, the one whose prayers are always answered, the one who always has your best interest in mind, that one is praying for you. 
The writer of Hebrews says of Jesus, He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through Him, since He always lives to make intercession for them. Jesus is your advocate, and He will pray you right to heaven. Far from being an excuse to give up the discipline of pursuing the Father's heart in in meditation and daily application of the truth you find in Scripture, to your life, Jesus' prayers assure you that any time you spend thinking about God's words and as they, how they relate to you and your circumstances, they are going to yield fruit by definition because Jesus is praying for that. His words will never return to him empty. They will always accomplish what he has purposed them to do. They will always bring about transformation. They will always bring about Uh, um, uh, a new creation, the the power of, of the newness of the gospel flowing from your life, and they will always make a name for God uh, in this, in this world. Uh, Jesus is not praying for the world is not an expression of indifference, uh, but it is a revelation that unless uh, those who know the Lord are rejoicing and resting in him and the father's love, The world never will. It's a matter of priority is why Jesus is not praying for the world because the world doesn't know him. But those who do know him are the ones who need his prayer so that their lives reflect his glory in such a way that the world is attracted to the gospel and the goodness of God seen in you. The world needs to see good in you in order to give glory to God. That's the way it works. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works. That is when they will give glory to your Father in heaven. Jesus' praying for his disciples only is is a matter of priority. Knowing that he is leaving the world, Jesus prays for for us to be faithful to the Father's name. You keep reading in verses 10 and following, and it, it sounds, in verse 11 in particular, and I am no longer in the world. And um, it says, uh, it speaks as if Jesus has, has left, but, but he's speaking in terms of his, his, uh, the climax of his ministry on earth is, is coming to, a, to, a, to, a, to an end at, at Calvary and in the resurrection and the ascension, and he knows it's, it's determined, and so he speaks as if he is out of this world um, because he's handing the ministry, as it were, into the hands of his, his apostles. And knowing that he's leaving the world, Jesus prays for, for us to be faithful to the Father's name in order that we may be holy and so that we can be one, even as Jesus and his Father are one. When Jesus said earlier uh, in chapter 10 of John, I and my Father are one, the context was the preservation of his people in in their faithfulness to him, growth in knowing him, and their protection uh, from perishing and being snatched away from him. And based on verse 12 of John 17, Jesus prays here for the same sort of thing. Jesus wants you to experience unity as he and his Father did in their purpose to save. Unity in, in the church comes uh, when when we build our relationships and fellowship on the being of God 
revealed in Christ by the Spirit. Nothing else will keep us holy. Nothing else will keep us together. Um, but but this, uh, this name, this being of God the Father revealed in Jesus by the Spirit. Even for Jesus, the name of the Father is how he kept his disciples uh, together. You see that in verse, in verse 12, that while I was with them, I kept them in your name. That's how God, that's how Jesus, um, that's how Jesus guarded his disciples. Um, holy living and living for others to be holy is the result of being centered on and kept by the knowledge of God as your Father through Jesus. Anything else will simply bring destruction, as it did with Judas. He was the son of destruction, and Scripture was being fulfilled in in his departure, but that departure was correlative with the absence of knowing the Father and the Father's love and making the Father known through Jesus Christ. Once again, don't miss Jesus' emphasis for holy living, unity, and effectiveness in ministry. We are kept holy and unified and fruitful in the Father's name. It is that resting in and being founded upon and rejoicing in and relying upon what the Bible reveals about your Father through Jesus by the Spirit. The being of God is the foundation and the motivation for all of these things. His name represents his character and how as, as, as an image bearer, um, you and I are to reflect him as Jesus did. No one has ever seen God. Uh, but, but if we love one another, uh, God can be seen in your life in tangible words and actions. And it is for that purpose that, that we are called uh, to remain in the Father's name, faithful to the Father's name, founded upon the Father's name as Jesus reveals that to us. There's a, there's a point in, in Jesus' ministry when he says, no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal the Father. Such a revelation uh, given to you. Jesus chose. If you know anything about God the Father, you were chosen by Jesus to have that knowledge. And that knowledge is, is given to you. It's entrusted to you, not only for your own good and establishment, but it's, it's, it's been entrusted to you so that you might father other people with that revelation, that they, that they might come to know the Father through you. And so uh, they, they learn that as you proclaim the gospel to them, as you love them in the Lord, it starts in the church and it flows out from us into society and it changes the world in which we live. You are the, the, the tabernacle of God. You're the temple of the living God. You are a house of power wherever you go. Let that love of the Father, that knowledge of the Father, flow through your life to everyone you encounter. Pray that God would use you in that way.
that that would be your, 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 your impact, that that would be the footprint, as it were, you leave on the face of this earth, in the lives of the people of this world, that, there's, that there will be people in heaven, in glory, who know God as Father through you. Even if you're uh, very much to yourself and you're not very outspoken, uh, don't ever look at that as being a, um, a, a deficit. God can use the most humble of people, the most, the most, the people of, of very few words, but of great character, to speak volumes and to have such an impact on the world. May God bless you and his word to your heart.